Let's just pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the way you love to presence yourself amongst your people. We love being in your presence. We're in awe of you, Lord Jesus. We're in awe of the fact that you gave your life for us, that you shed your blood on that cross to pay for all our sins, past, present, and future, that whoever we are, wherever we've come from, whatever our backgrounds, we can come to know that saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that you are the one who's done it all. And yet you still welcome us into your holiness. And in your presence, we find fullness of joy. And in your presence, fear doesn't get a look in because you are perfect love. And in your presence, we are changed increasingly to be made more and more like you. (laughs) You're amazing, God. We love you. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. I wonder if anyone's come up to you and said, I wish I had your faith. I wish I could believe what you believe. I wish I could have the certainty and the assurance that you have. I wish I had your faith. I just don't. A a former colleague of mine came up to me once many years ago and said that exact thing to me. And we knew each other very well. We'd had lots of conversations about faith. And and so I replied to him. I just said, well, you do realize you can have that faith. Faith is a gift from God. You can ask God for faith. And then I just paused and thought, well, actually, and so I said this, actually, you do realize you already have faith. You already have faith. Everybody has faith to some degree. It's simply a matter of where they are choosing to place that faith. And the truth is, all our lifestyles actually reveal where our faith really is placed. If we have an authentic faith in Jesus, it cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden. It is on display. It is demonstrated by our actions. You know, a very obvious example is when we pray, what are we demonstrating? We're demonstrating that actually my faith is in God and not in my own solutions. That's why I'm praying. My faith leads to action. You can see it, it is on display. And in the same way, when we put our faith in other things, guess what? It shows. It shows. And for my colleague who didn't know Jesus, his faith was very clearly in the love of making money. And he was really good at it. He, he took on every job that came his way. He worked round the clock. He traveled up and down the country. On top of that, he was always talking to me about money-making schemes, about where he was putting his money and investing it, and have you heard about these returns? And that was his life. He raked it in. He was loaded. He was very good at it. Yet, tragically, it ultimately cost him his marriage and his family because he simply was never at home. He had put his security and his faith in his bank balance. We all choose to place faith somewhere. And so the question I really want to grapple with this morning is, in what ways does my life show 
where my faith lies. In what ways does my life show where I have actually placed my faith? And in our passage this morning, we've come to the final chapter in Hebrews. If you are new to us, we've been going through a a whole series in the, the book of Hebrews. We've got one more week to go next Sunday. But we're in chapter 13, and and chapter 13, if you want to turn to it, if you've got your Bibles, it basically is, it it feels like the sort of concluding thoughts. It feels like the writer to the Hebrews is is kind of wrapping things up, and and things are popping into his mind, you know, oh, oh, don't forget this, and and can I encourage you in this area, and and challenge you in this area, and oh, don't forget this. They're, They're kind of lots of little concluding thoughts. But in the section we're going to look at this morning, the first six verses of chapter 13, he highlights three key areas where so often we can place our faith in rather than in God. Three key areas that vie for our affections, our attention, our time, and ultimately our love. And those three areas that he highlights are the love of self, the love of sex, and the love of money. Just some small issues there. Nothing, nothing to kind of worry about. These are massive, aren't they? In fact, when I was looking at those, I thought we've done a series on each one of those, a whole preaching series in the past. Probably should do it again. So we're, we're literally just going to be looking at how we can demonstrate our faith in Jesus through these three areas. As we've gone through this book of Hebrews, right the way through, we have seen this call to a robust faith, a resilient faith. Whatever we are facing, whatever circumstance of life, we can have a faith in the one who is always faithful. It's what we've been singing about this morning time and time again. You are worthy. You are faithful. You are good. You alone in all your ways can be trusted. And if we kind of relate Jesus then to these three areas, we so clearly see how he is the one who modeled a fully selfless life. He didn't love himself too much not to give himself up for us. He gave everything. He gave his very life for us so we too can live a selfless life. It was in the design of God that he created marriage and sexual fulfillment as a gift. And he is the one who provides and has promised to provide for every single need. We do not have to fear lack. And so these three areas actually become wonderful opportunities for us to display our faith, to display a radically different lifestyle to the world around us. So let's read Hebrews 13, 1 to 6. There it is. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. This isn't just, oh, just remember them. This is actually journey with them. This is the real empathy. He goes on, marriage should be honored by all. 
and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. We're not a slave to fear, are we? We're children of God. What can mere mortals do to me? First area we see here where our faith is on display is in the way we love others. In other words, faith in Jesus as a selfless faith. That's how it shows. I was looking at some recent statistics and in the UK alone, more and more people are living alone. More and more single occupancy housing is being built because there's more demand for it. And that has a massive knock-on effect in people's own emotional well-being, mental well-being, Massive knock-on effect. More and more people are living lonely and isolated lives. On top of that, we're having less and less social interaction, thanks to the internet and other things. And, and we've known for years, you know, this whole culture of living for yourself. We've all been living in our little bubbles. It's all about me. That's the sort of culture we live in. And yet, one of the most countercultural things we see about the early church was the way they lived for one another. It was dramatic. It was huge. And if you're into your Greek here, the, the word here for, for, for loving with a brotherly love is Philadelphia. It means a devotion to, a commitment to, a dear friend. That's why the early pilgrims called a city in Pennsylvania. Is it in Pennsylvania? I can't remember. Philadelphia. It's where the... Uh, Constitution was signed. Great name. Brotherly, sisterly love. It's also a cream cheese, but I haven't quite worked out what the connection is there. But anyway, maybe there's a devotion to cream cheese people have, but there we go. But it's the word Philadelphia that Paul uses in Romans 12.10. He describes it actually as evidence of being a disciple of Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, you will demonstrate Philadelphia, not the cream cheese. Sorry, get that out of your mind. Brotherly, sisterly devotion. It says in Romans 12.10, let love be genuine. This isn't just a surface love to make you look good. Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. One of the evidences that we are actually who we say we are, followers of Jesus. And that's exactly what people saw in the first century church. You know, they saw this complete hodgepodge of people united in their faith in Jesus, filled with the same Holy Spirit, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, all beautifully united in Christ and in this love. And that had the biggest impact. It had a big impact, obviously, on the church. It had a massive impact on the community around them because they saw evidence of faith in God. 
They saw evidence of life and love. And, and Acts 4, I love the way Acts 4 describes this community of early believers, being one in heart and mind. And verse 34 goes as far to say, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. That's a testimony, isn't it? It's not a single needy person among us. Why? Well, we look after each other. We care for each other. You know, this, this newly found faith in Jesus wasn't just talk. It was clearly demonstrated through the way they devoted themselves to one another. I think it's worth pointing out, though, this love isn't natural. It's hard to give sacrificially. You know, people here were unreasonable. They didn't even consider their possessions their own. If they saw someone in need, oh, here, have. It's kind of unreasonable, isn't it? Everything in our flesh wants to rein it in. You know, I'll, I'll show love, but so long as it doesn't put me out too much. Whoa, it's beginning to get uncomfortable now. Put the boundaries in. Or, or I'll, I'll give so long as it doesn't sacrifice too much. Our flesh always wants to put in kind of, let, let's be reasonable about this. And yet here we see a totally unreasonable love. It was outrageous. It was sacrificial. But you know what? It was supernatural. This was a community post-Pentecost full of the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love. They were simply allowing the Holy Spirit to change their hearts to such a dramatic impact that it was pouring out, overflowing in love for one another. You know, as I mentioned earlier this morning, so grateful for the way our church family have shown our family love. As, as Claire's been dealing with her mum and her mum passing on and now looking after her dad, we've just been inundated with offers for help, amazing meals. But do you know what? My initial reaction when people say, how can we help you? Is, oh, we're fine. We're fine. I don't want to put people out. I, want to, I don't want to be a burden. And I'm so grateful for some of you who have brought me up on that who have said, actually, you do realize you're limiting people's ability to show their love for you. In fact, you know, ultimately, what they're doing, I'm, what I'm doing, sorry, is limiting people's opportunity to display faith in Jesus. I'm restricting their supernatural ability to love. I was told. <laughs> so I now accept lovely meals. <laughs> I still disagree with having to iron, though. But that's another subject. Yet, listen, our passage goes even further than simply loving one another in the church. That is powerful. That is important. That sends a message out to the world. But listen, we don't just stop there. Verse 2, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. People you don't know, in other words. I have no idea who you are or what your background is, but welcome. You're welcome here. That's powerful. That's powerful. I mean, even just John's testimony with the homeless ministry. The way that homeless shelter is set up is you are welcome here. This isn't a soup kitchen. You're our guest. You have a place to belong here. That love breaks down walls. Very literally breaks down people's walls in their hearts. If you're into your Greek again, if the brotherly love is Philadelphia... This love for outsiders, 
this love for showing hospitality is philoxenia. And I googled it just to find out a little bit more about it. And guess what? Loads of Greek hotels started coming up on my Google feed. I got a little distracted, started to plan my summer holiday. But what a brilliant name for a hotel. Because it means showing love to strangers. It means being hospitable. Great name for a hotel. There's hundreds of them in Greece, funnily enough. But I love the added incentive that the writer to the Hebrews says. He says, you know what? If you welcome a stranger into your home, it might be an angel. I think that's quite cool, isn't it? He might be referencing Abraham here and Lot, but you know who did that, but you never know. It's quite a nice thought, isn't it? But here's the crunch. If we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we profess to be followers of him, it needs to be shown, yes, in the way we love his church, love our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also how we love the lost, how we love the hurting, how we love the broken, how we love the vulnerable, how we love the ones in bondage. Notice he specifically mentions care for those in prison. And yes, he may have well been talking about the church who were persecuted at that time. Remember, this letter was written at a time of great persecution, increasing persecution, in fact. And he may well have been referencing members of the church who have been imprisoned and persecuted because of their faith. But the fact that he mentions strangers here as well clearly points to the fact we are meant to demonstrate love to all, particularly those who are in bondage. Whether that's a literal prison, we've got high down down the road, love us to be able to have more of an impact there. Really praying into that, be amazing. But also, you know, metaphorical prisons, people who are in bondage emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We live at a time of massive mental health issues, hugely increasing. And in fact, we're going to be doing a preaching series on mental and emotional health after the Easter time. So I think that's going to be a really powerful, very enlightening time, really expecting God to, to break in there. But listen, we need to be those right on the front line of welcoming, loving, supporting those who are dealing with all sorts of struggles. That is what faith in Jesus looks like. That's what it looks like. It looks like a life of selfless love. In the same way we're demonstrating our faith, as I said, with the homeless ministry, I just love those testimonies when they're just shocked that these are volunteers. They're not getting paid for it. They're doing it out of love. It blows people's minds. In fact, I was listening to a podcast about a youth worker from Sutton who met up with one of the guys he, he helped years ago. And he was just catching up with this guy, seeing how his life was going. And, and during the conversation, it, it dawned on the young man that all the years this youth worker had poured into his life, he had done it for free. He was a volunteer. And he just said, I, I thought that was your job. You were being paid to help me. It totally blew his mind when the, when the youth worker just said, no. We did it because we love you guys, and we want to see you succeed in life. That is a love that transforms lives. It's a love that breaks through even the hardest heart. Faith in Jesus shows in the way we stop living for ourselves 
and live for others. Please have a think. Even today, who can you display love to? Who can you encourage? Who can you support? Who can you invite to your table just to demonstrate welcome and care, mercy? Please do proactively think about that. You know, who knows? You might even be welcoming an angel. Second area our faith is on display is in this whole area of purity. Faith in Jesus is a pure faith. Just read, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. You know, it is a massive area where so many people are placing their identity and their sense of self-worth in their sexuality. And it's so important that if you have a faith in Jesus here this morning, that you are modeling something pure and something good and something actually ultimately controversial, increasingly controversial in today's culture. Again, it's not something that we do on our own. It's something that the Holy Spirit helps us with, empowers us with to live lives of purity. You know, I, I don't think there is any other area at the moment where God's word is, faces such an assault in this, apart from, you know, it's, it's this area of sexuality. We are coming under a massive attack, yet we do not need to fear. We simply need to be faithful. I can't say that clear enough. We don't need to fear. We simply need to be faithful. It's society that has decided to redefine marriage. Redefine gender, actually. Again, I was, I was watching a, a reporter going around a crowd of people asking a simple question. How, what is a woman? He could have asked, what is a man? But he, he just asked, what is a woman? And he was asking women. And you could see their, their thought process going. And, and this fear of, of not wanting to say anything un-PC. And so many of them declined to answer. They were like, oh, I don't really know. Speaking to a woman, what is a woman? Don't know. Some actually said, well, it's whoever chooses to identify as a woman. That's a very PC thing to say. We live in a very confused society, don't we? That struggles to answer simple questions. Where basically anything goes as long as you are being true to yourself. That's today's mantra. That's the plumb line for the world. So long as you are being true to yourself, rather than allowing our maker to define who we are, we, we self-define. We rely on our own feelings, our own limited perspectives to define ourselves. And really, this is nothing massively new, of course. Again, in the context this letter was written, Sexual promiscuity was absolutely rife. They literally worshipped sex. They had temples and temple prostitutes and everything. It was very in your face. And here, the writer is just reminding us, this is an amazing way we can demonstrate something different. Something pure, something holy, something lined up with God's word. Because if we put our faith in Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus, then we say it is God who defines marriage. 
not us. And we know the bigger picture of marriage. It's far bigger than just a relationship. God designed marriage to be a picture between a man and a woman representing the love that Christ has for his church. That beautiful union of sexual unity shows that unity of Christ and his church, that we are one with him. There is something so much bigger going on here. And we can see why the enemy, the devil, wants to constantly attack and mess up what God had declared as very good. Very good. Because it's a model of the church and the devil hates the church. But as a result, there is massive fallout. There is a hugely confused generation, generations I should say, corrupted by broken ideas of sex and pornography and, and just sexual confusion all around. The generation that has put its faith and ultimately their identity in their sexuality. This is who I am. And they call it empowerment. It's a generation that desperately needs to know God loves them. Desperately needs to know healing and wholeness, that our identity is rooted in him. The one who made us, the one who loves us, not in our sexuality. I believe it's also a generation that more than ever needs to see modeled to them time and time again God's original beautiful plan in marriage but also in singleness as well. As heterosexuals, but also those who experience same-sex attraction. If you declare your faith in Jesus, then you are called to model purity. You are called to model faithfulness to God's word. And again, I just want to reiterate, we have the Holy Spirit to help us. In your marriages, model faithfulness. In your singleness, model purity. There's some brilliant books on these, this whole subject. Very happy to recommend different resources. One book I'm really looking forward to reading, which is out very soon. I'm eyeballing Joe because it's through the Good Book Company. Do you know the, what I mean? Sam Albury's new book that's coming out, simply called, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? Brilliant. I think it's going to be amazing. I know Sam Albury's writing is fantastic. Why does God care who I sleep with? If you want to pre-order, speak to Joe. He'll put you in touch. But I'm looking forward to reading that one. But there's loads of other resources that will help us in this area. But listen, one of the ways we, we do need to just check our hearts and ask ourselves is how is my faith in Jesus shaping my view of sex? How does that outwork itself in my actions, both publicly and in what I talk about, but also privately behind closed doors? How is my faith in Jesus shaping that whole area of my sexuality? So I said there's a whole preaching series <laughs> wrapped up in that, but we need to move on to the third point. And that is faith in Jesus is a contented faith. It's a contented faith. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I don't know if we preach very much on money. Some would say not enough. 
Some would say too much, depending on what your view is. But listen, Jesus spoke more and more on money than any other topic apart from the kingdom of God itself. He spoke about money and finances more than prayer because he knew what a massive hold the love of money and possessions have on us. And as followers of Jesus, we acknowledge that every good thing that we have ultimately comes from God anyway. We're just stewards of it. Our money, our possessions, our time, our very lives. It's all part of our worship and our surrender to him, isn't it? It's all his. When we come to faith, we say, Jesus, I'm yours. It's a whole package. And so, again, we need to ask ourselves, how is that reflected in how I use what actually has been entrusted to me by God in the first place? How is my faith reflected in my financial dealings, particularly in my giving? How we use our money shows where our faith truly lies. You know, what does my giving demonstrate of my faith? Does it demonstrate that I give enough to alleviate my conscience or enough to show I'm relying on God for my provision, not my bank balance? It's a big one, isn't it? You know, am I giving as an act of sacrifice and surrender or am I giving as an act of legalism and appeasement to my conscience? So as I was sort of jotting these down, I was just thinking, oh, this hurts. <laughs> this hits hard, doesn't it? Maybe I'm just the only one. But listen, if matter of sex kind of really impact our identity, matters of money really get to our hearts, really get to our hearts. But the truth is, and here's what the writer is really pointing out, the contrast between the love of money and the love of Jesus is that money comes and goes. Jesus stays forever. Where do you want to put your faith? Something that will come and go, something that is not eternal, or someone who will be with you for eternity. When we choose to love money, it really starts to take control and shape our decisions, shape our thinking. And yet Jesus wants to take control. He wants to shape our thinking. He is the good shepherd. The love of money is not. <laughs> he is the good shepherd who leads us into contentment, green pastures. The love of money leads us into discontentment. Time and time again, I see it in myself. I'm seeing it in my son, Ben, as well, bless him. He, he latches on to the next thing. Everything he talks about is this next thing. And I mean, it can be something really minor, like a little, with these pop sockets that you stick on the back of your mobile phone. Obsessed with a pop socket. And when he gets it, it's like, yeah, next one. I mean, he's, he's on a journey, as I still am, 40-odd years later. But he's learning that ultimately stuff doesn't satisfy it doesn't live up to the hype. It doesn't live up to the promise. But there is one who does, and that's Jesus, a relationship with him. Again, we have a wonderful opportunity in this area of demonstrating contentment with whatever we have. We can demonstrate our faith through it, and it frees us from bondage. And this is not news, really, is it? I mean, the world knows this. 
The world knows giving ultimately frees. I was, I was listening to an interview by Emma Thompson, the actress Dame Emma Thompson. She was being asked a load of questions by 10-year-olds. It was very cute. There were some naughty questions, you know, like who's the best kisser? She was very diplomatic about that one. And then one little 10-year-old said, um, how do I become stinking rich like you? And she was kind of like, oh. Um, and she thought for a moment. And she said, do you know what? Forget about money. Forget about being rich. Do what you love doing. And then she added, if you do happen to get a lot of money doing what you love doing, give it away. It will save you a lot of hassle. I just thought it's great advice, isn't it? Wise words, but it's godly wisdom. It's godly advice. Giving is a grace that frees us from being enslaved by the love of money. It's also a grace we're encouraged to grow in. Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 longs for all of us to grow in the grace of giving. And listen, we've got a, an Epsom gift day coming up, March the 29th. Put it in your diary. What a brilliant opportunity to demonstrate your faith in Jesus and give generously, sacrificially to see this work of God established in Epsom. What a good opportunity. But also have a think about your regular giving. How is my stewardship of what I have reflecting my faith in Jesus? Do have a think about that. The truth is, and I'll wrap up really with this, all of us can know rock-solid assurance when we choose to place our faith in Jesus. When it comes to provision, Paul goes on a chapter later in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, just saying, just, just referencing God's total sufficiency again. He says, God is able to bless you abundantly. I love that word abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Again, don't rush over that. Just, just feel the impact of, of the truth of that. In all things, and at all times. Is there every, ever a time included in that where, where God can't or doesn't? No, all times. Having all that we need. Is there any hint of lack in there? No. We can abound, overflow, exceed expectation with every good work. That pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? This is the abundance that comes when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever you're going through, whatever circumstance you are in, you can know this incredible abundance of provision, whether that's financial, whether that's a provision of grace or peace or healing, wholeness. You can know that as you place your faith in Jesus. When we choose to allow faith in God to overflow into love for others, when we, when we choose to honor God with our purity, and when we choose to demonstrate trust in Him, by our giving, that is when we can join in with the writer to the Hebrews as he wraps this little section off and says, with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
What can mere mortals do to me? Fear doesn't get a look in because we know the security and the abundance from faith in Jesus Christ. You know, faith in Jesus transforms our hearts, ultimately. And a transformed heart leads to a transformed lifestyle. And a transformed lifestyle shapes us not just internally but externally as we allow the Holy Spirit to overflow. And that transforms lives around us. And that's ultimately what we want to see, isn't it? We want to see lives around us transformed by the very life of Jesus pouring out of us. So why don't we just worship now?